Welcome to TSF Life, a podcast ministry of the Shepherd's Fellowship Church in Marion, Ohio. TSF Life is designed to bring you biblical teaching in a relational way that's easy to apply to your life. Let's join Pastor Tom Hypes as we dive into today's teaching. We're digging back in, guys. If you want to go ahead and get your Bibles out, uh, again, there's Bibles underneath the seats and Uversion is up and running, but we're going back to Matthew 5 as we continue our study in the life of Christ. Again, we are in the Sermon of the Mount. We are in a particular section uh, that is dealing with Jesus fulfilling the law and what that looks like. Um, so we hear oftentimes, you've heard it said throughout this section, and we're in the second to the last one. We've covered anger so far, we've covered lust, we've co- covered divorce, we've covered integrity speech, and today we're in a, a new one where we're going to talk a little bit about our rights and uh, what rights we have, how we're supposed to handle our rights as Christians, and how that plays out in our daily life. Now, I'm going to say up front, there's four different areas that Jesus is going to be talking about. I'm not nailing any of these in my life. There is progress I've had in, in different areas, there's growth. So I'm preaching myself just as much as you guys, but since we have four different ones, I did want to four different times say, I'm working on this too. It's just all the way across the board, we're all working on these things. And the more progress we have, the more freedom we have. So it's a good section to get into. So with that, read a little, talk a little, see what we find. Everybody in? Yes. Okay, that, that was better than no more. Look at you guys. Okay. <laughs> 38, Jesus says this, You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him also the other. If anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him also have your cloak. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. So staying with the same pattern we had before when he says, you have heard this said. Uh, this is coming from the Old Testament law. This is coming from different areas. Uh, for our note takers, I'll give you a couple examples where you can find that. Uh, Deuteronomy 19.21. Deuteronomy 19.21. Uh, and some of you guys might even find this at the bottom of the page on, the, on your Bible, depending on what kind of Bible you have. Uh, Leviticus 24.20 has uh, a reference to this. Exodus 21.24. It's very consistent, this eye for an eye mentality, which really is kind of revenge-based uh, system that they had within the law. And Jesus saying, I'm going to give you something that's better. We're going to go a little bit deeper into it uh, because he wants to talk to us about our rights. Now, I've... Uh, traveled more in my life than I ever, 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 ever thought I would as a kid. Um, this is world keeps getting smaller, and I've been blessed to be a, a few different countries, some for just a day, others for a period of time. But like, if I compare our country to Thailand, or if I compare our, our, our country to um, Japan, or some of the other, other places, Kazakhstan, especially when we went to get Emily. Um, by the way, her birthday was yesterday. Yay! She hates me now. Okay, so, but, uh, but if I compare our country to other, other countries, we definitely are a rights-based system more than most, if not all, countries in this world. We are raised with the American dream. We all have the right to happiness. We have, we're all protective of our rights. We get worked up when our rights are challenged. Um, it drives us politically, it drives us in our relationships, it drives us in our faith sometimes, uh, which is not good. Uh, it drives us and drives us and drives us and drives us. Where what Jesus is introducing here, if you'll be willing to hear it, 
is you have a right to lay down your rights for me. Like, we do have rights, and there's a lot of things that he has given us and blessed us with into our lives, absolutely no doubt. But when it comes down to when he asks us to, we have a right to lay down our rights for him. Because when we don't, it takes and blocks up even more our work with the Great Commission. And that's why we're here, to lead others to Jesus, to share with them that they can have a relationship with him too by acknowledging with their mouth he's the Son of God and believing in the hearts he died and rose again. They can have that relationship, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, and to have Christian community with each other and teach each other to live the way he's commanded and exampled for us so that we can have freedom. We oftentimes, oftentimes undercut that because we're more worried about our rights than what God's calling us to. And that's what he's digging into in this particular section. And like I said, there's four different areas that I see. Uh, maybe I'm wrong because, again, we're getting into the commentary that he's digging into that talks about laying down our rights. And I, and I know when we talk about laying down rights, we probably have a couple of red flags up. Um, that that doesn't seem fair. Um, but my rights for eternal life, that doesn't seem not too bad of a deal for me. Um, but it's really not a matter of us being weak. It's a matter of strength through submission. Uh, the reason we still celebrate Martin Luther King Jr. is because he got beat, because he got dragged out of places, because he, he spoke up with a quiet voice. There's a strength in submission that I think Jesus wants to get us to, as well as a freedom in submission. So let's look at these just kind of one by one. Uh, we'll throw them up on the screen for you. Uh, the first one we'll come to with the help of Chris has to do with our right to retaliation. We can lay down our right to retaliation. This is where the eye for the eye is, or where a, a tooth for a tooth is, or someone punches you in the face, you want to punch them back type mentality. Um, and again, that's, that's kind of an American thing for sure, but I think it's also a human thing that we have uh, when someone attacks us or attacks somebody that we love. Um, sometimes we're called to take the hit. That's one thing we have to keep in mind. Sometimes we're called to take the hit, and it's different than what the world teaches us. How many people seen Roadhouse? Awesome movie. That was a joke from last week. Everybody else was like, yeah, it is. Patrick Swayze, baby. I was just, yeah, that awesome thing was what I was joking about. Anyways. But, but why, does he, why does he stand out? Because his motto is, anybody remember? This is why he's different from all the bouncers. He has one, has a motto. Huh? Nope. That's the other bouncers. Be nice. You don't remember that scene? He's telling all of them, be nice, man. They're up in your face screaming at you. Just escort them out. Be nice. And then his continues, and then he says, be nice until it's time not to be nice. So he does go worldly. We as Christians are going to kind of stop on the be nice one. You know, know what I mean? Uh, for, the, for the most part, I can't say that I wouldn't blow that in my life depending on what the situation is. But that's kind of what Jesus is leading us into is that I have the full right to use the power of submission to love on somebody and change them instead of just coming to retaliation. There's a story of one, one gentleman, I wish I could remember his name, um, but it's been a while since I heard the story. He was one of these guys who grew up in New York, grew up in a gang, grew up in that type of environment, uh, found the Lord when he was in prison um, for quite a bit of time, uh, got back out, was trying to do his life a little bit differently. And um, there's a story when he's playing basketball with some other guys, and this guy, by the way, happens to be African-American. and. Uh, the, they're, they're playing basketball and a guy like completely uh, hits him like a cheap shot, like just his shoulder into his gut type thing while he's going up for layout, lays him out and everything, calls him a racial slurs, kind of like starting a fight. And the guy, I mean, normally, he, were, he grew up in gangs, so normally he probably just 
obliviate the guy. Um, but in this particular instance, he saw an opportunity and he got up and says, look, uncool, but if Jesus loves you, I have to too. And went back to playing. And then after the game, that guy came up to him and says, look, nothing in my life has ever challenged my prejudice like you. And then walked away. That's, that's the kind of strength, the kind of opportunities that we have. Uh, I like to admit to the stories that we have within the Old Testament. Look at Joseph. If you get into Genesis, uh, Joseph had, right? Do you, you remember the story of Joseph, most of you guys? Right? He's born. He's the favorite son of 12. Uh, Daddy buys him all special clothes and treats him real good. And he starts having dreams about he's going to be the leader of the 12, even though he's second to the youngest, which is insane. Uh, he would have to wait for all other brothers before him to die to get to that point. So they don't like him much. Um, I thought, you know, me and my siblings kind of got into fights every once in a while, but this one was a little bit worse where they sold him off into slavery. Um, then like he was dead, got rid of him, and he had a hard life. He worked himself up with integrity within the household where he was a slave. He got falsely accused of rape, got put into, uh, or attempted rape, got put into prison, interpreted some dreams, and the guy says, that sounds great. He's going to be reinstated next to the, to the pharaoh. And he said, just remember me when you go. And the guy forgot him. So he sat in prison for another, what, three, four years, something like that. Until a dream came up. And he's like, oh, I forgot about Joseph. Joseph's like, joke. And when, you know, he gets out. He explains the dream. Next thing you know, he's the second most powerful man in all Egypt. Second only to the pharaoh. And he's not even Egyptian. And then when the plague hits, what happens? His family comes looking for food. They don't know it's him. They don't know anything about his story at this point. And he had the choice of either getting the revenge. He could very easily say, bring dad, my little brother, to me and the rest of you guys. Right? But instead, if through an elaborate scheme, he takes care of them and finds reconciliation with his family. This is a story of the power of submission that you and I have when it comes to that kind of... Um, Hard set. Now, as I said, all these areas I, I struggle with at different levels. Uh, I remember, I'm going back probably about 30 years, uh, so it would have been seven, something like that, right, Monica? <laughs> seven? Uh, which would make the rest of the scene even weirder if that was true. Uh, <laughs> but um, one thing that I have admitted to before is I have, let's say, strong reactions if you hurt somebody I love. That's one of my, my two big areas. And, I mean, you, you literally, please don't, because I'm, I'm, I'm old now, so please be nice to me. I'm one of those old men who have dreams we were singing about. Uh, don't, don't hit me after church, but I can handle that a lot better than if you hit Jenny or hit Emily. You know what I mean? Just, just don't. And uh, in this particular situation, when I was seven, um, my sister's first husband, they had split up. And in a moment of rage, he hit my sister. Um, so you guys are tracking so far, okay. And my mother asked me not to retaliate because they were going, my sister was going to press charges. Uh, unfortunately, she never did. Um, so I was not allowed to work out my emotions the way that I naturally <laughs> would like to. Uh, and then one day, I'm driving um, through Johnstown, where I grew up, and I stop at a stop sign to wait for somebody to cross in front of me, and my ex-brother-in-law is passing in front of my car. <laughs> and he walked everywhere, and he was a slow walker anyways. So uh, Jenny's all of course she knows the story. You pop the car into neutral, you start revving the engine, he turns, he looks, it's almost like something you see on TV. And he, I, he might have peed his pants a little bit, but he ran fast. 
Um, boy, I felt good about that. So I wasn't exactly in tune with the scripture at that point. Another story. Um, a couple years ago, we were uh, dealing with a situation with, uh, in, the, in the schools that involved several kids, including my kid. And so we as parents were trying to talk with each other, see if we could help the kids out. And most of the parents were pretty cool. It was really... Uh, had good conversations, maybe had some different opinions or whatever the case would be, but it's just what you do. Uh, one parent, not so much. One parent came with a strong arrogance, uh, aggression, false allegations, not just against uh, my daughter, but against me in ministry. And it was pretty frustrating because you're attacking my daughter. But then on top of that, he's a pastor in town. And the second thing that I get really worked up about is when pastors who are disqualified for ministry have a ministry role. And so I went and got my car and started driving around looking for crosswalks. <laughs> oh, I was hoping. I didn't. But I will say for the last two years I'm praying for him because God doesn't allow that to stand when you have people in ministry. He won't, one way or the other. And I don't... I'm praying for his repentance so he can humble himself and be raised up before the Lord. But when someone gets laid out in a position like that, let's say if I was, it hurts the spouse, it hurts the kids, it hurts the church, it hurts the ministry that they're doing in the community. People will walk away from church and never come back. Some people will walk away from the Lord and never come back. But prayer is what matters because if I just you know, hit him with a car, that might not be as effective as what God can do in this situation over his time and his ways. So there's definitely a power when it comes to our right to submit our rights. Okay, let's look at, uh, let's see, another one here. The second one is rights to our stuff. We have the right to lay down our rights to our stuff. Uh, in this case, there's kind of a, it's kind of easy to read over, but it's kind of a curious term, where he says, if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let them have your cloak as well. At this time, when Jesus is talking to, be, uh, talking to these folks, you can literally close, uh, sue somebody for their clothes. That was something that they could do legally. But legally, you could not sue for someone's cloak. Like, if you ever watch The Chosen, you watch these Hallmark movies, or you see pictures or whatnot, you, they have layers of clothing. But the cloak is the outside one, and that's the one that protects you from the elements. It's the one that protects you from weather. And so everyone needed that, and so they weren't allowed to sue. For that, Jesus was saying, if someone sues you for clothes, give them the coke. Even if the law protects your right of your stuff, you have the right to lay it down for Jesus. Imagine what they would do if you give them that extra that they're legally not allowed to, what the impact could be within that. Um, so that's something we have to, to look at when it comes to our stuff. Now, the funny thing with stuff, George Carlin, uh, if you guys remember George Carlin, if you're old like I am, right? Um, some of you sinners are laughing. I'm not talking family-friendly comedian, you know what I'm saying? He was, but he was a genius. He really was. His observations were insane to me. I, I really believe if he came to the Lord, he, he was prophet material. He just had this way of looking at things. And he has this rant, and I'm not saying go home and look it up at YouTube, because, again, not family-friendly. Uh, but it was just this whole rant about stuff and how we have stuff and we're obsessed with stuff and we wish we had less stuff, but then we go out and work so we can buy more stuff and we get a storage facility because we have too much stuff to fit into our house. And, we put in, and it's like all of it makes sense, just how insane we are about our stuff. But the reality of the situation on all three of the ones that are coming up, it's not our stuff, it's God's stuff. 
and we lose that sight all the time. Everything I have, God has entrusted with me for his purposes. Now, that might be for my enjoyment. It might be for my family's enjoyment or for their sake. But it's definitely there for him to be able to use to further the kingdom. And we need to be able to look at those type of things. Because when we get selfish with our stuff, we become just as hypocritical to the world as the big TV pastors are being taken out. That's what it does to our witness. So we have to look at those type of things. Do me a favor, go to Mark 10. You can lose your place here in Matthew. But we're going to go to Mark 10. I'm going to read just a small section of testimony of a guy that uh, Jesus came across that we would call the rich young man or the rich young ruler. And I think if any of us who know the story would retell the story, it basically goes like this. The guy wanted to follow Jesus, found out that he was decent when it came to the Ten Commandments, but that he had an obsession. Uh, He was um, idol-worshipping his money. And Jesus told him to give away all his money and follow me, and he couldn't do it. That's basically how we would say it. Uh, I think for the most part. However, that's not how it goes in the scripture. So let's read this real quick. Mark 10, verse 17. As Jesus was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except for God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal. Do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and your mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. But Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven and come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful because he had great possessions. It's a really interesting dialogue that they're having that Jesus is kind of setting up as you go. He comes up, good teacher, you know, what do I have to do to be good? And Jesus says this phrase that used to really kind of bother me a little bit. He says, well, why do you call me good? Only God is good. And I'm thinking, well, Jesus is God, right? So he is good. But I don't think he was taking and having some kind of identity crisis. I think he was taking to figure out, how do you see me? Are you calling me good because you know I'm God? Because I'm the son of God? Are you calling me good just... Flippantly, what, what does that mean to be good? He's kind of already toiling up the soil in the conversation. And so then he immediately goes into these commandments that he, that he has what in verse 19. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud on your mother and your father. Um, quick question. This is toughy. See how you guys do. How many commandments are in the Ten Commandments? And she's on staff. <laughs> it's, we all know it's ten, but Jesus gives him six. So he's continuing, why do you call me good? Because only God is good. He goes, well, here's the commandments. And he purposely lists for him the commandments he is doing well. He almost sets the guy up. The guy's like, man, I'm nailing that. I've got that. He did not mention you have no God before me. He did not mention anything about not having idols because he knew the guy was already messing up in that. So the guy kind of gets puffed up, look at what I'm doing. He's, and he, Jesus looks at him and says, but there's one you're missing. Now, make sure you get that the scripture makes it very clear he didn't do this just to be a jerk to the guy and to set him up and make him look foolish to everybody. Jesus looked at him. He saw him. He understood what his struggle was as well as his successes. And he loved him. And he said, I want better for you. I want more for you. So you have an idol and it's your possessions. 
if you read this, it does not say he's rich and he would have to become poor to follow Jesus. He says nothing about his money because the guy doesn't seem to have a problem with his money. It's his possessions that he would not let go of. It was his stuff. And sometimes we do the same thing. Okay, let me, let me put it this way. Um, how do you treat your house? Is that for you and your family? If you have a loved one that's going through a tough time, maybe they can come stay with you for a bit. What if God puts a stranger on your heart? Ah, we're a little bit more challenged. Or even somebody that you kind of like, but your house is your personal space. That house is your resource for God to lead. I'm not saying he's going to turn into a homeless shelter, but what if he just puts it on your heart one day? Are you willing to lay that down quickly? If you have a truck, what's the most annoying thing about having a truck? Everybody wants you to move stuff. Good luck, JT. That's a pretty truck out there. It's a pretty, pretty truck out there. But if you have a truck and you have the time, you have an opportunity to bless others. I purposely keep in mind who has trucks and like rotates so no one wants to hit me for constantly asking. But that's, that's part of it. I remember one time I was... Uh, working at the insurance company, and um, a guy just started. He lived like an hour north of there and had to move that weekend was complaining. I was like, well, I'll come help you move. And I did have a truck at the time. And uh, he's like, yeah, right. And when I showed up, it just completely blew his mind. We ended up becoming best friends because of, uh, of that. We have opportunities. Your skill set, anything that you have that you can do skill-wise, you can use to bless others. Uh, Jeremiah's already offered to help us put uh, Freon in Emily's car. Um, that's a blessing, because I don't know how to do that. We're just chucking... Michael and I were just talking about it. I am not a mechanical person at all. If it's more than two screws, I'm out. I'm out. So there's a lot of things that we have, but we have to realize those things are not ours. They are for the betterment of the kingdom. And we have to be able to bring those things into play. Okay, so let's go number three. You have the right to lay down your right to your time. You have the right to lay down your right to your time. When he says, uh, go one mile... Uh, if they force you to go one mile, go two miles. Uh, this is referring to a law that they had in place at, uh, at, at that place. Uh, and for an example of this, uh, if everybody looks at Monica, um, hey, I, I need your help. Okay, do you see that look? That's all I want, really wanted. Because I knew she would do that look. Here's what they were dealing with. Legally, if you were a Jewish person and a soldier, Roman soldier came up to you and said, I'm tired of carrying all my crap. I want you have to carry it for the next mile. It doesn't matter how you feel about it or how lazy your butt is that you don't even get up off the chair, right? It doesn't matter. They would have to do it. And you, you might say, but hey, I was just on the way to the bank. It's getting ready to close. I don't care. Well, you know, I got this family event. We're getting headed over to. The kids are playing softball. I don't care. It's kind of like that uh, shingles commercial. We love that shingles commotion. Not so much since Jenny got shingles. But every time that comes on, it's just a great commotion. If you, you know what I'm talking about? It's like, I run every day. Shingles doesn't care. Like, <laughs> you do. like I eat well. Shingles doesn't care. So it's like this really bad attitude like thing. But that's how the woman gods were. And you legally had to. You were going to prison. That, that was your two, two choices. Jesus says, imagine. Just imagine if a god says, you have to carry my stuff for a mile. And at the end of the mile, you looked at them and said, you know what, you still look tired. Can I do another? You imagine that? What kind of impact that would have 
And this is what Jesus is saying that you and I can do with our time and how we handle our time. Time, once again, is some, just like our stuff, is not ours. It's not ours. It's something that we steward. It's something that we manage. But we are at the point that we're working multiple jobs to get by. And we're at the point where we maybe are tying ourselves up with uh, ed- trying to do continuing education or working out or whatever our side projects are. And if you've got kids, please listen to me when I say this. And you can disagree with me, and that's okay. This is just Tom commentary. You're not stuck with it. Please teach your kids how to manage and steward time. They don't need to be involved in every single extracurricular activity that fancies them. You don't need to be running them from five different places on top of homework, on top of social activities, and everything else in the world. Many of us are teaching our kids a lifestyle that they would never, ever escape because we're telling them that time controls us instead of us controlling our time. And that's huge because I work with people every day that are running on empty because they don't have time for Christian community. They don't have time to sit down and be in the Word. They don't have time to pray. They don't have time to breathe. Teach your children how to breathe. It's important because time has no problem taking over our lives. We steward the time. It does not master us. This is a very important point that he's talking about. If your kid sees you not going to church and let's say you're not taking doing anything to refill your tank to the point that a friend calls you because their spouse just walked out on them. And you're at a point that you're just, it's just like ringing. You're like, I'm going to go to voicemail because I, I want to watch this Netflix for now. I just want my hour. We're not managing our time well to be able to further the kingdom and to be there for one another. It really is a huge concern for us to be able to go into. Um, one Old Testament story to dig into for that one. Um, and this one I, I not looked at this way before until several years ago. The story of Samuel, the great prophet Samuel. Everybody probably knows a lot about him through David and Saul and that whole story. Um, he started out in kind of an interesting way. His mama couldn't have babies. And so she was praying to God, please let me have a son. Please let me have a son. Please let me have a son. And she, she said, if you let me have a son, I would devote him to your work. And so she did get pregnant. She had a baby. And she raised him for the first couple of years, weaned him off. And then she took him to another great prophet by the name of Eli to be raised in, in the, the uh, synagogue. And she would come and, and check in on him. But he was being raised in the synagogue. And you guys remember the story when God first called him? He was asleep and he heard God calling his name right. Um, when that happened, if you recall, he went into Eli, the, the, the great, great prophet, horrible personal life, but great prophet. Uh, he went in and said, so you called me? And he's like, no, I didn't call you. I was actually in the middle of a good dream. Could you please leave me alone? Uh, and sends him back to bed. And this happens like, what, two or three times. And it wasn't until like the third or fourth time that he, he put it together. It's like, oh, if I'm not calling you, who is? And so he says to the boy, next time you hear your voice be called, say, here I am, Lord. A great prophet, you think he would kind of get that early on, don't you? But his focus wasn't on God in that moment. His focus was, I I just want to get some sleep. I'm tired. I'm bored with this stuff. My kids are driving me crazy. My family's falling apart. It was because his time wasn't in focus that he missed the Lord a few times over before he was able to lead Samuel in this way. So definitely check on your time. Get your calendar out this week, man, and look at it and see what's taking your time. 
uh, see what things you have control over and what you don't have over because realistically you have a lot more control than you think. You just got to learn how to say no. Fourth one, the favorite fun one that Bill is talking about. Okay, let's get good up. The right to lay down your right to your money. Um, here Jesus is talking to us about gift to the, those who have needs. And I think it's interesting that Jesus broke money away from stuff. I think a lot of times we put stuff and money together, but this is, a, this is just a huge area. It's a, such a huge idol in so many of, of our lives of, of how we get broken into these things. Um, and, and I'll tell you why I th- think it's a big idol, because I think it's an idol for many of us and we don't realize it. Uh, whenever we say the words, if I just had more money, I'd be fine. We're already off track. Because money doesn't save me. God saves me. Money doesn't provide for me. God provides for me. And everything that I have, including my finances, are not mine. They are his entrusted to me for his kingdom work. And when we get off track from that, it all goes wonky. Does that make sense? This is a big area. I think it's a very big area for us to deal with. And when we we get off track with it, then we start struggling in areas that really matter scripturally. Uh, Of course, we're going to talk about tithes and offerings. Well, why not? If I want God to be over my finances, I have to have him in the right place, and he's going to be forced in every area of my life, not just my money. And for those who maybe haven't been around, because it's been a little while since I've talked about this, uh, the process of tithing, again, some people believe it's still uh, in, in practice. Some people believe that it's fulfilled with the law. We could have those conversations another time. Uh, and, but they believe that God still has to be forcing your money, right? So by the, the practice I'm talking about, it would be 10% of your first fruits go to God, and the other 90% is for whatever you need it to be. Um, it's an area I really struggled with in my 20s. Uh, when I, Jenny and I got married, we made a commitment uh, to tithing and offerings, and uh, I would never go back. I just, I would never go back. Um, it's not a theological issue for me. It's just I want God for my life. I've seen what he does with it. I see how he provides. I just won't go back. Um, I'm too scared to go back, to be honest. Um, the, he has provided for us in weird ways at weird times. There's other times I've had to learn how to have a little bit more uh, faith in his provision instead of my own control. Uh, so that, that is a practice that we hold on to uh, quite, quite sternly. Um, I remember in the 20s, I used to say I didn't have the money to, to tithe. Um, but you always have the first fruits. You know what I mean? The 10% is always there. It's just whether or not I use it up for other things. And then at the end, say, I still don't, I don't have enough left over for God. That's a different, di- different issue. I always, I always have the first foods. So, so we give that to God. We do that through a local body church because that's where we're connected. And most for it to go to the storehouse for the ministry that God wants to do through this, through this uh, church family and within our community. Um, so that, that's pretty straightforward for, for me. Uh, there's really no reason not to tithe. But the thing is, the next thing I kind of had to work through was that almost made it seem like a burden when you're struggling with it. And um, I'm learning more and more the joy of God being in charge of my finances instead of me trying to figure it out all the time. Um, I'm not perfect at it by any means. This is, this is one I kind of, part that I really struggle with. But if I get my mindset, okay, it's first 10% is yours, it's going to ministry, um, if you don't trust the leadership of the church to manage it well, that's a leadership communication area that we need to talk about. But that, that's what I do. I trust the elders of the 10%. Now the other 90%, think about this, because this is a whole different way of thinking of things. And I'm trying to grasp it more and more. The other 90%, God says, 
is between you and I to figure out. And so then it becomes, and this is weird because like I have a calendar, I have all my bills on it. So whenever I have a paycheck, this is what it goes to. But think about it if you do it this way. Uh, you get your check, you get your money, whatever the case would be. If you got in the habit of going, okay, God, what's this $100 for? And he's like, well, that's for the electric bill. That sounds good. Thank you, God, for that provision over that electric bill. What about this $100? Well, your kids have been wanting to go to Cedar Point. Ooh, that could be a good day. I like that. Thank you, God, for sending us to Cedar Point. God, what's this $100 for? That's your friend Steve is having problems with his bills. Why don't you help him? That sounds good, too. Now, you might be at a point that, like, what is this 20 cents for? <laughs> That's towards your electric bill. You know, like, we're all in different places. But when you start thinking about what is this for and, God, and you're working together, all of a sudden it becomes about God's provision instead of you trying to fix everything. Then when you don't have the money for something, you're much more likely to say, God, let's talk about this. How's this going to happen? Now, you might be thinking, hey, that's my money. I worked hard for it. As soon as you get fired or laid off, the first person you're praying to for a new job is God. So let's remember that God's the one that gets us loaded up, okay? So how do I manage my money in such a way that it makes a difference? So tithing and offering definitely something that gets whopper-jawed when we're not doing this correctly. Generosity becomes a big issue, but we're not helping one another. That, 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 that's very big in the scripture. Um, one of the things that we did at one point when we were trying to grow our generosity from our family is uh, I found that we could, out of Jenny's second paycheck, there was $100 that we could took to generosity. So we wrote it into our system that that $100 every month was to help somebody. And we had to find somebody through prayer to help that person with. And we don't do that anymore because we're more comfortable with generosity but it was a system to put into place for generosity. So you might only have $20, you might have $5, you might not be a place that you have anything, and you're looking at your time and your stuff, but that's definitely one way that you can grow in that area. Uh, and I think an area that we can grow in, and that we can lead the world, and this one is uh, one that can make people mad at me, and that's okay, uh, is how angry we get over how our taxes are being used to help one another. Uh, I think we can work on that. Um, as I said, my dad's stuck in the back. Dad's like hiding behind a pole. I can't even see my father. Is, th is Grandpa awake? Is he there? Okay, just making sure. Is he drinking a beer or anything? Okay, just, just starting rumors. Uh, Dad and I were having a talk, uh, I think it was last Monday, about this issue because uh, we're both very passionate about the vets in our country being taken care of. Uh, and there's definitely struggles and uh, shortfalls when it comes in that area. And so then you start thinking, like, well, what about, like, this money that's going to help people in Ukraine and the war that they're going with? And uh, sh should one be a priority over the other? And I guess where I lay my hat is uh, that should only really be a question if there truly is only enough resources for one or the other. But my guess is there's a lot of things that they spend our tax money on that does not matter when it comes to helping one another or taking care of one another. I, I, I maybe I'm just stupid and don't understand how all that works, but uh, I would like to see some bigger dialogues on what we're spending on money on, because if my tax dollars are going towards helping other people, I'm in. I'm in. I'm all for that. Now, I'm not saying that we should have systems for the people abused. Jen, what's the name of the program for Love, Inc., as far as that we work with and not enabling people? Program something? No. The curriculum, the, the whole, th 
redemptive compassion. Um, it's the, it's uh, the concept of how to help people without enabling people. And I'm all about that. We, we, we shouldn't be enabling people to stay in poverty. We shouldn't be enabling people to stay uh, uh, focused on being taken care of by the system. But we do need to help people that need help. Uh, and I'm, again, I'm not running for president for the very reason I don't know how to do that stuff. But I do know the heart. I do know the heart. And if my finances are God's, taking care of others, it's kind of a no-brainer to me. So anyways, this is also what we do as a church. Um, this, the percentages that we talk about all the time, like meeting goals, so we have percentages. I don't know if I've ever really described super well, at least in a long time, why we do that. We have these percentages. We, we have a very weird-looking budget compared to everybody else in the whole freaking world. Um, we, we have a general fund that pretty much everything operates out of. However, over the years, the elders have deemed certain areas of ministry that we want to be investing our finances into. We want to make sure it's going into uh, because it's just too important. So that's where the 5% in the Stephen Fund, which helps people in need, the 5% into the outreach, the, what we do in the community, 25 for the worship team, 25 for the youth, for the kids, um, missions, whatever it is. We deem that so important we want to make sure that we're investing into it because if we keep it on the general fund and the kids need to go on a trip and the youth group needs to go on a trip and we need to also take and replace a furnace, it's real easy to say, well kind of a lot out of the general fund. But if they don't have the funds, it's not an issue. And the best part is that that fund gets up to like $3,000. You get the fun of going to Katie over the youth group and say, look, get this $3,000 in your fund. Let's pray about how God wants to use that because that shouldn't be sitting there. That needs to be doing ministry. It's a different way of thinking to make sure that, again, that we're controlling and, and using those funds properly. So, again, when we follow him in these ways, this is how we do the Great Commission. We start seeing these great opportunities and freedom in our lives. One quote, and again, I don't have this guy's name either, but I do want to say it's not mine, is, Do not stand on your rights when Jesus took the cross. He did not defend his rights. It was grace that put him on the cross. It's grace to put him there. And that's what he's calling us to live more and more ourselves. Uh, John 13, you don't have to turn there. This is the one I'll end with. Love this story. Not necessarily always for the same reasons everybody else does, but it's where Jesus washes the feet of his apostles. Um, again, beautiful act of service. Be beautiful act. Uh, I like the beginning and the end of it. Because at the beginning of it, you find that Jesus is sitting at the head of the table, which means he's the lead guy. And he's dressed like the lead guy, and he chooses to stand up, take off his cloak, take off his outer garments, pick up the apron of a servant, put it on, get the bowl, get the rag, and then start washing their feet. He chose to take a lower position than what everybody else saw him as. He gave up his right to make a point. After he had washed all the feet, the Bible is clear. He takes the apron off. He puts his outer clothes and his cloak back on. He sits back at the head of the table and says, Now, do you understand why I did this? He had no problem with being the leader. He had no problem being the servant. If we're going to call ourselves Christians, if we're going to say that we're Christ's followers, then there's going to be times that the Spirit says, Lay down your right in this one. Okay, Lord. Okay. And that's hard, but the opportunities are immense. If you were blessed by today's teaching, 
We hope you return for our next podcast. Or better yet, stop by the Shepherd's Fellowship any Sunday morning to join us live. You can learn more about the church by calling 740-382-3500 or check us out online by going to tsflife.com. That's tsflife.com. You can also support the ministry of TSF Life by donating at our church website or sending support to the Shepherd's Fellowship, 1647 Marion Marysville Road, Marion, Ohio, 43302. Thank you for spending your time with us today, and we look forward to seeing you soon. Be blessed.